Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Book of Acts chapter 27. I want to go there uh, this morning. We're going to begin in verse uh, 17 actually and uh, read a few verses. But before I go there, you know, um, it, it's, it's interesting. And uh, one of my, every time that I, uh, Pastor Adam, it's amazing, we had not talked about worship or anything this week. And here he had uh, sang a song about being anchored uh, in the Lord. And, uh, and then he talked about, and when the oceans rage. And uh, it's just amazing how sometimes the Lord just confirms and lets you know that you're on the right track uh, in what he would have me to share this morning and share a part of my heart. But I can't think of uh, reading about the Apostle Paul, who's one of the great, who was the great missionary of the church, and uh, of course one of the great uh, preachers of the gospel. And, uh, but every time I think of the Apostle Paul being in a storm, the Bible said several times he was in a storm and shipwrecked many times. And how many know the shipwreck of your life is not the end of your life? And uh, how many know sometimes we become shipwrecked, but it doesn't mean our life is over? And just as for the Apostle Paul, uh, shipwreck just means that God just wanted you to teach you something right where you're at. And so uh, uh, when I begin to think about that, I can't help but think of the conversion of, of John Wesley. And it's an amazing because what actually transformed John Wesley's life uh, was not that the fact that he heard the gospel preached to him, but what changed John Wesley's life was that he saw the gospel demonstrated in front of him. How many know that you'll learn more by having the gospel demonstrated in front of you and, and, and many times in what people can say to you? Amen? And so how many know the gospel's powerful, but the gospel's much more powerful when a Christian demonstrates that gospel before you? And in January 23rd of 1736, John Wesley was on a ship called the Simmons. He was on his way here from England. He was with three other ships that were on their way. They were coming to America. Actually, John Wesley was coming to actually support the Anglican church. He was coming to ministry. He was part of what was called the Holy Club. Uh, the Holy Club was a group of ministers uh, that, had, uh, that were trained in ministry uh, they were trained to, to read the Word of God, all these things. He was, he was an Anglican in the beginning. And as he came to America, uh, he was hit by several storms. Matter of fact, he was supposed to leave in October and uh, to kind of miss the hurricane season. But they did not leave port until December of that 1736. Uh, uh, and so as they came to America in January, when they got here in January... Uh, on their way in January, they hit a third storm. This storm literally just about destroyed the ship that John Wesley was on. Matter of fact, it's the third storm that they had been through. And he tells in his autobiography, and I'm just paraphrasing, you can read it, it's an amazing story. He says that while the ship was being tossed and while the, while the ship took on water, he felt that the loss of his life was very evident. He thought that he was going to die on that ship. But the one thing that was evident uh, uh, to him was the fact that there were German Merovins that were on the ship that were with him. Matter of fact, there were 80 of them that were with him. And the German Merovins were uh, those that were kind of like Puritans, but they were on their way to America because they were going to minister to the Indians. And on their way, in the midst of the storm, Wesley began to notice the calm demeanor of the Merovins. Not only the, 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 the fathers of the families, but the children. And he was, he was amazed by their calmness and peaceness in the midst of the storm. Matter of fact, in the midst of the raging storm, they would sing hymns. They would pray. They would read the Word of God. They would call out the Word of God. And Wesley, internally, inside himself, thought to himself, I am afraid to die on this ship. But these Merovins are sitting here worshiping and praising God in faith. And here I am, a pastor who is on the ship who should have more faith. But yet he, he, he recognized that there was something in these Merovins that were different than what he had. Well, he came to America and he served here for a short time to no avail. Matter of fact, his ministry was very bland. He went back to England in 1737 and where eventually he ran into a Merovin preacher, uh, and in the, the speaking and preaching, his heart 
was turned and he realized that the internal struggle that was going on in his life, I'll just paraphrase it, well, that his life was full of religion but not God. Come on, how many know you can do the works of God and not be born again? You can be religious and not be born again. And so he realized that this internal struggle was the fact that he never did really receive Christ as his personal Savior. He ended up receiving Christ as his personal Savior. The rest is history. He joined together with George Whitefield. They came to America and, and, the, and was part of the end, tail end of the end of the First Great Awakening. And had it not been for the Wesleys and the Methodist Church uh, that moved out through America in the 1700s through the Revolutionary War. But he realized this. He realized the fact. Listen, here's the thing. He realized that his anchor was in religion. It wasn't in Christ. How many know it matters what your anchor is in this morning? How many know it matters where you are? Listen, the storm will teach you a lot this morning. A storm will teach us all a lot of things. The storm will teach you. And here we have the Apostle Paul again in a storm here in Acts 27. He's in the midst of this storm. And what's interesting about this is that, is that he's in the midst of this awful storm that he's in the midst of this awful storm. And the reason the ship is in the midst of the awful storm is because it's out of the will of God. How many know some storms will come because of being out of the will of God? You say, well, how do you know it was out of the will of God? Because Paul warned them not to sail. Paul told them, he said, he told them that God spoke to him and said, do not sail. And so he's on this ship. He's on this uh, uh, Alexandrian ship. And it's in the middle of this storm, and when it's in the middle of this awful storm, and Paul is in the middle of it. And as you think about being in storms and what storms are and what, how they affect our lives, we can learn a lot from a storm. We can learn a lot in our lives by just the fact of how storms work in our lives. Matter of fact, we can take a lot out of knowing how a storm brews in our lives. I, I believe this. I truly believe that we're going to find out a lot about the church and a lot about America because I truly believe we're walking through a storm right now. And I'm telling you that it may not get better. It may get worse. But we're going to find out a lot about the church in the coming months. Y'all with me? Because I believe that as a nation we're going through a storm. As a nation we're in a storm. And we're going to find out how important it is to know who you are anchored to this morning. How I many know it's, it matters who you're anchored to? And so as we begin to look at this storm, but notice two things about this storm and where Paul is at the moment. And, 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 and they, they, they've entered into this storm. This, the, verse 13 tells us that a south wind began to blow. And it says, supposing that they had obtained their desire. In other words, there's two reasons why they're in this storm. Number one, they're in this storm because of flawed human reasoning, first of all. First of all, they sailed not because it was the right time to sail. They, they sailed because the captain of the ship and the centurion had alternative motives of why that ship sent sail. First of all, the centurion was part of the 10th Roman legion, which was based in Rome, and he was ready for furlough, and those soldiers that were protecting Paul were headed back to Rome to be released in the furlough. He had a selfish desire. He wanted to get back so that he can get on with his life. And he was willing to risk the ship and everything on the ship so that he could get his own gain. Sometimes we get in storms because of flawed human reasoning. Sometimes the storms that you go through are storms that not even choices that you have made in yourself in life. How many know sometimes people can make choices for you in life and you end up in a storm because of the choices of those whom you are around are with lead you into a storm. Y'all with me this morning? And the second reason they're in this storm is because of deceptive, uh, because of deceptive choices or a deceptive choice. Uh, in other words, they were deceived in believing that it was okay to sail. Verse 13 and 14 tells us that when they began to sail, they supposed that their, their, to sail that their purpose was good. They, they, they anticipated. They, the light breeze, the wind. In other words, there was a deception that led them to sail. They thought it was okay when really it wasn't okay. 
It gave them a, a perception that it was okay. In other words, they bypassed their training. They bypassed what the man of God said. They bypassed what was being told of them. They bypassed for the fact that ships did not sail at that time of the year because it was so dangerous. And the reason why is they had to get back. The captain had to get back. There was grain on that ship. He was going to get paid if he got back. He was deceived by the wind. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people who end up in storms because they become deceived by the winds that blow their way and they fall into the deception and they realize that it starts out okay. Y'all with me? Sin is fun for a season and then all of a sudden now it has to be reckoned with. And so now they sail thinking that it's okay to sail under the deception of the fact that a storm's there. And now they're in the midst of this huge storm because they failed to rely on training. They failed to rely on the man of God and his word and what he was telling them and what the word of God or what Paul was sharing with them. They ignored it all. Now Paul's in this storm. He's in the storm because of flawed human reasoning. He's in the storm because of deceptive choices that people make. I'm telling you as a nation, we can get in a storm. All it takes is a few leaders to make some choices that are deceptive and a nation falls into a storm. All it takes is selfish ambition. I want to tell you, how many of you are about fed up with the selfish ambition that flows through the political arenas of our lives anymore? I mean, I'm just to the point, I wasn't going to go here this morning. I don't want to. But I, I feel like this, just open the door and throw all of them out. Find some people who care about people. Find some people who want a nation that's going to represent something with integrity instead of a desire for their own selves to become rich and wealthy themselves. All right, well, that went over real well. Good luck on election day. But as we begin to read this, we see in verse 17, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing less that they should run around on on the satirious sands, they struck sail and were driven into the storm. And because we were exceedingly, in the, exceedingly tossed in the tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Note that, with their own hands. They threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now go down to verse 22. Now And now I urge you to take heart. Paul stood up in the middle of the ship. It was, in a, it was in a horrible storm. I mean, it's raging. Paul stands up in the middle of the ship, and he says, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Paul prophesies. He gets up and says, Hey, we may be in a storm, but God's man's on this ship. And as long as God's man's on this ship, this ship is going to be fine, because God takes care of those that belong to him. Paul said, there ain't going to be any loss of life. Take heart, for there will be no loss of life. Look what he says. He said, for there stood by me this day an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve. How many are thankful you belong to God? How many thankful there's a God who stands beside you whom you serve? Hallelujah. Saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you all those that sail with you. Take heart, men, for I believe God, I believe, I believe God that it will be just as He has told me. In other words, Paul said, Listen, you, the outside circumstances tell you one thing, but I'm telling you that in this ship, there is a God that is protecting this ship even in the midst of the storm. Why? Because there's a man of God on here that God has a purpose for, and God always fulfills his purpose in our lives. Hallelujah. I hope you're with me this morning. Verse 29, And then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the cern and prayed for day day to come. And the sailors were seeking to escape the ship when they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow. Now, what they were doing was, is they were trying to sneak a lifeboat and get into the lifeboat 
and they were giving the deceptive uh, uh, picture that they were dropping anchors when really they were trying to drop lifeboats for themselves. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how in the middle of a storm, there will always be people who will jump ship. <laughs> they like you when all is good. They like you when everything is working right. But all of a sudden, you walk into a storm and you can't find them nowhere. Why? Because they're letting lifeboats down. Because they're not interested in sailing through the storm with you. They're just interested in getting away from you because they're afraid that your storm may spill over on them. And the truth is, how many know that good friends, good folks stay with you even in the midst of your most difficult days in life? Okay. We're on a roll this morning. And the sailors seeking to escape the ship, verse 31, and Paul said to the centurion the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. How many know it's important to stay in the ship? It's important to stay in the ship. And the Bible says in verse, in verse 29, it said, And they dropped four anchors and they prayed for day. They dropped four anchors and they prayed for the day. You know, one of the keys of surviving the storm is the fact that you're anchored properly. Matter of fact, the survival of this storm was really hinged on the fact that Paul, they released four anchors, the scripture says. Matter of fact, uh, I've got an archaeology magazine that, that um, uh, Ray Voris gave to me that's got an article in there where they have found two of those, they believe two of those anchors that Paul dropped off the coast of Malta. And so uh, uh, it's interesting, there were stone anchors, they believe. And it says they dropped the four anchors. You know, uh, it's interesting. In uh, March 27th of 2009, there were several NFL, a couple of NFL football players, one college football player and an agent, who were on the Gulf of Mexico. And while they were on the Gulf of Mexico, a storm had came up onto and hit them while they were fishing with their friends. One of the men was... Uh, a linebacker from the Oakland Raiders named Corey Smith and his agent, and there were two other players and another college football player who was going to be an NFL player. The storm had hit them. The storm had hit them, and only one of them had survived the storm. And what was interesting is, is that the one survivor floated on the ocean for two days, and he said, he said to them, he said, well, we did, we did throw out an anchor. We did have the boat anchored. The problem was the report said that they were not anchored properly. In other words, they floated for a few days, and overall, it was a mistake in anchoring. In other words, the, the ship did not survive the storm because the, they did not anchor it properly. Anchoring is very important in the natural life as well as it is in the spiritual life. And I believe that, that anchors keep us from drifting. Anchors keep us from disaster. Anchors keeps us off the rocks of life. Anchors keep us supported so that we don't drift too far, so that, so that our faith remains in a place. When we lay down anchors in our life, storms can come and go, but if the anchor is in properly, then the ship can be secure. That's how it is. I'm here to tell you that this morning as we go into an election year, we better know who we're anchored to. As the years come and as this past year has been, as life has showed us, you better know who you have anchored yourself into and not just throw an anchor overboard. You better make sure that that anchor has been anchored properly. <laughs> and the problem is, some people say, well, I, I have anchored. But because you're not anchored properly, the storm still has the ability to destroy your ship because you did not take the time to properly anchor the ship the way that it should be anchored. And I'm here to tell you that you cannot anchor in anything else but Christ Jesus, Christ and His righteousness is your anchor this morning. And if your world's crashing, if your life is crashing, 
If you're going through a storm and you're losing and you have lost and all these things are happening, I'm telling you, we need to recheck how we are anchored because anything that is anchored in Christ is sure and steadfast in God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul did three things. Paul did three things. This is, he told them three things to do to prepare for the storm. And there's, there's preparation. Before you can throw anchor overboard, you have to prepare yourself for the storm. Now, Paul could have whined. Paul could have, could have, could have cried and said, God, why'd you give me these goofballs who left? I told them what you told. He could have moped. He could have moped around. He could have, he could have. see, because Paul knew this. Paul knew his destiny was greater than the storm that was headed toward the ship that he was in. And I'm here to tell you, when you know your destiny is greater than the storm, it doesn't matter what the storm is. You know if you're anchored right, your God will take you right through that very storm. Why? Because you have a destiny and a purpose that's greater than the storm. And Paul told them three things. The first thing he tells them is in verse 17. He says, and when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship fearing lest they should run aground. So here's what they did. The first thing that they did was they undergood their ship. They braced the ship. They braced it. And how they did that was is that they took these ropes that were on board. And the way they would embrace, they would, they would embrace those wooden ships is that they would take those long ropes and they would take that rope and they'd run it under the boat to the other side. And hook it back up on the other side. They did that with several ropes. Why did they do that? So that in the midst of the crashing of the waves, in the midst of the storm, though they may take on water, though they may, they, they, but what happens is it stabilizes the ship from breaking up. And what we have to do, number one, is we have to brace up our minds with the word of God in the midst of a storm so that we do not break up in the midst of the storm. You have to brace up. That sailor would jump that ship and do that several times. He would embrace that ship and, 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 and strengthen that ship. I mean, these are, Paul gave these strong instructions. In other words, just as they did uh, naturally, we have to do spiritual. We have to brace up our minds in the Word of God. In other words, when, when we go through a time when the weather is, and we're going through a storm spiritually or emotionally, whether as a nation or as a person, we need to learn to brace up our lives with the Word of God. Tighten up the Word in our life. Brace up our lives with the Word of God. Jeremiah 1.5 says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I sanctified you and ordained you as a prophet to the nations. In other words, when, when, when the, he, he, you take the word of God and you embrace it around your life. Here's what happens when you embrace the word of God around your mind in the midst of the storm. What happens is, number one, is, is that you are preserved by the presence of God. See, when you take the word of God in the midst of a storm and you begin to brace it, your life with it, in the middle of the storm, now you begin to feel the presence of God while you're in the storm. You say, well, how did Paul know that? Because the Bible said that while they were in the storm, an angel of the Lord visited Paul. The presence of God came right in the middle of that ship, right in the middle of that storm. God invaded that weather. He invaded the wind. He invaded the rain. He invaded the waves. And his presence was right with Paul. And now all of a sudden, Paul knew God was with him. And it didn't matter what was happening around him. God was with him. And when you brace up your life with the word of God, all of a sudden, you feel the presence of God. Secondly, when you, when you brace up your life, you, you preserve your life by the presence of God. But secondly, you, pres you preserve his plan for your life. <laughs> Listen, when you take the word of God in the midst of a storm, you preserve God's plan for your life in the midst of that storm. How does that happen? Because here's what happens. Though there's a storm going on, God is still working on you. God is working in you in the midst of a storm. 
God is working through you in the midst of a storm. And God is working around you in the midst of a storm. But regardless of what's happening all around you, God is working in you, which means his plan is working in your life. His plan is working in the midst of your life. What was God's plan? Acts 19.2, that was God's plan for Paul. Paul, that you would get to Rome. I'm going to send you to Rome. That was God's plan. God, Paul wrapped his his life around the word that was given to him of the fact that God was going to get him to Rome. He embraced that in the word, and that became what worked in him. That became what worked through him, and that what came with worked around him. What worked in him was faith to stand and to proclaim God's purpose. What worked through him was a testimony to the men that Paul was without fear. That Paul stood in the midst of the storm without fear. What was working around him is that Paul said, hey, this ship is going to wreck, but everyone in this ship is going to make it. He prophesied it in the midst of it. So that the plan of God, when he wrapped his life around it, hallelujah. how many are thankful for the plan of God in your life? Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts, the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace. And not of evil. To give you a what? A future and a hope. Some translations say a future fulfilled with hope. How many are thankful that the plan God has for you is a future that's fulfilled with all kinds of hope in your life? If you are wrapped and embraced in Christ, you have a future. And because of your future, the storm cannot destroy you. Why? Because you've embraced yourself. You have encapsulated yourself with the Word of God. You have wrapped the Word of God around you, and the presence of God is with you, and the plan of God is with you. Woo! Come on, y'all. That's good stuff. How many of you thank God for the purpose and plan of your life? You'll look at a storm different. Hopefully, you'll look at a storm different. You got to brace up in a financial storm. Has anybody ever been through a financial storm? You got to brace up, the Word of God. Anybody have been through a family storm, a personal storm, a national storm? We got to brace up with the Word of God. How many know fear wants to overtake you? Depression wants to overtake you. Discouragement, disappointment wants to overtake you. But how many are thankful that you have undergirded your life with the Word of God? Secondly, you brace up. Or firstly, you brace up. Secondly, it's found in verse 22. It says, and now I urge you to take heart. Now the word translated really at first, some translations say take courage. But the root of the word is rooted in this. It's rooted in the fact of, of, of walking through with joy. In other words, Paul says, take heart. In other words, he's saying, there is joy in knowing that God is going to deliver us through this storm. So, first of all, you brace up. And second of all, in the midst of the storm, you learn to cheer up. <laughs> How many know the hardest thing to find in the middle of joy or in the middle of trial, our, our storm, is joy. In other words, Paul's saying, listen. He's saying, let God control your attitude. Because some people's attitude changes once they get in a storm. I don't have the right church this morning. I should. How many know that we are to cheer up our attitudes in the midst of storms? We get in trials and our personality changes. We get in trials and we lose our joy. We lose everything we've stood for. Everybody's a good Christian when things are going right. But how about when there's an attack on your family? Or an attack on what you've invested in? Or an attack on your job? Or an attack on who you are? Can you stand in the midst of that and carry cheer and take courage in the midst of that? Can you cheer up in the midst of a storm? Can you have the attitude that Paul has? How many know the joy of the Lord is our strength? Because here's the truth is, the truth is it could be much worse. Every situation could be much worse. You could be in the hospital today. You could be dying today. You could have a bad diagnosis today. How many know you can always find somebody worse off than you? 
How many know you can always find somebody that's walking through something that's a little bit more difficult than what you're walking through? Listen, the message of Christianity is victory, not victimism. We are not victims, but we are victors in Christ Jesus. We have the victory this morning. And even in the midst of the storm, I know nobody wants to shout in the storm. But it's contrary. It's contrary to the world. The world doesn't understand the joy that we have in the midst of trials because that joy is not happiness. It's joy. It's joy that gets us up in the morning. It's joy that gets us through the day. It's joy that puts hope in us. It's joy that allows us to sing. It's joy that allows us to dance. And it's joy that will cheer you up in the midst of a trial. Woo! Thank God for joy. Listen, this is the faith. This is our faith that what? That overcomes the world. Even our faith. Come on. Faith stops hell. Faith runs off demons. That's our joy. Our joy this morning is that we live from the perspective of victory. He leads us from place to place because he's leading us to perpetual victory in our life. <laughs> he's leading you to perpetual victory. He's leading you. Let me tell you, you think Paul had some ship stories when he got to Rome? You think Paul ever gathered crowds around and used the shipwreck stories of his life, the storms of his life, to share the protection, provision, and the covering of God in his life? We don't know every moment of Paul's life, but I guarantee you that this testimony of this storm, of Paul coming through this storm, was a testimony to the provision of God, God taking care of him, God being with him. Your faith grows when you go through storms. Your faith increases when you go through joy, storms. But the greatest uh, attribute we can have in the midst of storm is to be joyful and count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations or into trials of many colors as the translation says in James how many know trials have many colors how many know there's the blues of depression huh how many know there's the unforgiveness and the anger the red of anger how many know that there's the, there's, the, there, there's the yellowness of sickness and disease that can be part of our trials? But thank God, he leads us into victory past every one of them. We come out on the other side much better than we were when we went in on. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. In other words, don't quit. Cheer up, don't quit. Paul's saying don't lose heart. Don't lose your courage. Hang in there. Stay with it. Stay with it. I serve a big God. Keep hanging on. Keep hanging. Keep praying for that lost loved one. Keep, keep praying for God to move in your life. Keep praying for God to deliver you. Keep praying for a restoration. Keep praying for God to work in ways you've never seen him. Cheer up. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength this morning. Focus on what you have. Woo! Cheer up. Because how many are thankful for what you do have? How many are thankful for what's... Listen, and, we, and what do we do? What do we do? We, 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 we bear up. We bear up what we have. And we thank God for it. And we're cheerful. And we thank God for what he has given us. And we also strengthen what remains. Come on, you got to strengthen what does remain. How many are sometimes a storm can have an effect on our lives? But how many are thankful for what remains after a storm? Because if God allows it to remain, it must be essential to our lives. And listen, I don't, can't tell you how many times marriages have gotten stronger after storms. I can't tell you how many times relationships with family has gotten better after storms. I can't tell you how much more faith people have walked in when they've gone through storms. And what the enemy has used to destroy you, God will turn around and use it for you. And I'm here to tell you that the next step you take when you're in the next storm, you'll be much more joyful and much more, uh, much more uh, akin to the Spirit of God and the presence and plan of God in your life. And so we're to cheer up. And then Paul tells them this. He says, not only do you got to bear up and cheer up, but you got to lighten up. <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody tell you, just chill? Just chill. But that's not what that means. That's not what Paul's referring to. Look down at verse, look down at verse uh, 18. And verse 18 tells us this. It says, and, 
And, and because we were exceedingly in the tempest tossed the next day, they lightened what? They lightened the ship. And on the third day, they threw the ship, the tackle, overboard with their own hands. What they do in the midst of the storm? Now listen, I'm gonna, I want, I want, I've often thought, why would you throw something out of a ship in the middle of a storm just to be throwing it out? There had to be a purpose of why you would take certain things on the ship in a storm. Because, like, when, when I was in high school and I drove, uh, my, one of my first cars was an F-150 truck. It was an orange truck and it had black primer on it. We called it the bingle truck. I just started putting primer stripes on the thing because it was as ugly as ugly could get. I tried to get my dad to buy me a Trans Am, but that didn't work. He said, you'll kill yourself in it. And so I had, a bing, I had this truck, and it was, a, it was an F-100, and it had like a column on the side. And, and, uh, but it, it didn't have no weight to it. So in the snow, my dad would throw blocks in the back of that truck because he knew that the way I drive, I'd be over a hill somewhere. And so I thought, I mean, thinking that the weight of the blocks in the truck would keep the truck on the road. But I thought, when I read this, I'm thinking, should that not be for a ship? I mean, if you have a load on a ship, would that not be the same that keeps the ship from being tossed around and about? You would think so. But the reason why you unload a ship in the midst of a storm is because the weight of the ship is not anchoring the ship to the sea, it's actually pulling resistance on the anchor. So the heavier the load, the heavier the strain on the anchor. So you unload the ship so the ship would be stronger at the anchor, not stronger in the ship. (laughs) They began to throw things off the ship. Why? Because they were about ready to release the anchor and they could not afford to have resistance to the anchor that would, that would, breed, that would affect the anchoredness of that ship. In other words, they began to throw these things off. They began to release these things off. In other words, they, they, they threw off the ship what was, really, what was really unnecessary on board. In other words, how many things in our journey of life have we put on our ship that really is unnecessary. Or really when we find out in the midst of the storm, they, they, they're, they're just they're things that really don't matter. We bog our lives down with things that really doesn't matter. They become weights in our ship. In other words, they, they distract from our responsibilities, our, our, our relationships. So they become distractions for the purpose of God in our life. In other words, but I love this. I love what it says. It says that, that, they said this, they said, and they began to unload the ship with what? With their own hands. You say, well, why that's important? Because it's important because we have to understand that in the midst of the storm, we just don't sit back and let God do all the work. Sometimes there's things that we've got to do in order to help us get through the storm. I'm a firm believer of this. I believe that every man plays a part in his own deliverance, in his own freedom. I believe every man has a place. And you know what it's called? It's called the will. Because the greatest force in the universe is the will. And the will of man, God will not violate the will of man. I'm telling you, there are people who are, who, are, who are sitting in their bondage this morning because they refuse to yield their will to God. And I'm telling you, it's the will that attracts the iniquities of life. It's the heart that, that expresses the transgressions. In other words, we all, we all sin. I'm not a sinner, but we all sin, Right? But it's through the heart transgressions come from, but it's through the will, the mind, will, and emotions 
where iniquities attach in our life. What are the iniquities? The iniquities are those things that find us in bondage where we can't get free. And it has to be in the will. That's why Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethesda when he was getting healed. He said, he said, will thou be made whole? In other words, he's talking about the will. And a lot of people don't get free because their will, they want to hold on to their unforgiveness. They want to hold on to their victimization. They want to hold on to their bondage. They like having their bondage. They like having that in their life. It brings them a security. I'm here to tell you that until he breaks the will in our lives, there will not, until we unload some things in our life, our ship cannot be anchored. Y'all hear what I'm saying? They could not throw the anchor because of the weight of the ship. The resistance on the ship would affect the anchor. And some of you are carrying weight and carrying things with you. You can never get anchored because the resistance of your will to do what you want to do instead of what God wants to do is stronger than the anchor that you throw into the sea. And you can't throw the anchor until you let God deal with your will. <laughs> I don't know if I got the right ones this morning, but I'm here to tell you, it's the will that generational curses come through. It's the will that generational curses will come into and attach to. Because listen, they don't just come in you. The will, listen, here's how generational curses work. Generational curse, it says they visit to the third and fourth generations. The word visit means they come and it's really a word of temptation or a word of attraction. In other words, if your daddy was an alcoholic and your grandfather was an alcoholic and great-great-granddaddy was an alcoholic, how many know, because iniquity, what it means is it means bent toward. That's what the word means, to be bent toward. And so iniquities in Scripture means these are things that we are bent toward. So what happens in your generation, if suicide is in your generation, if divorce is in your generation, if these things, then our lives become bent toward those things. And they visit to the third and fourth generation. But in order for them to attach, our will has to come in agreement with that iniquity. <laughs> come on, y'all. Listen, this is why people aren't free. Because the will has a part to play in your deliverance. They had to unload the boat with their own hands. They had to throw overboard the things in their life that needed to be thrown over that was non-essential, that were distractions, that were pulling on the resistance of the anchor they were about to throw. Come on, lighten your load this morning. Lighten some things in your life that have weighed you down and kept the anchor from being so strong in Christ. You wonder why you've drifted away from God and you've drifted from here to here and you've tossed from this uh, seashore to that seashore. It's because your anchor is not strong. It's because you're carrying too much on your ship. Woo! Come on, I feel some folks this morning in the spirit unloading your ship. Come on, unload your ship this morning. Throw it overboard. Get rid of it. Nothing reveals what is not essential in your life than a storm. Matter of fact, a storm, a pandemic, is revealing a lot that's important in our lives now. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? I'm realizing there are some things I put some premiums on before this pandemic that I realized wasn't that important anyway. How many are thankful that we're able to lighten the load? That's why Paul said, lay aside every weight that does so easily beset you. I'm here to tell you, you got some baggage to get rid of. There's some things, listen, some of you need to unload the baggage of fear. Some of you need to unload the baggage of failure. Some of you need to unload and lighten the load and, and, and that puts resistance on the anchor. You need to unload some things that are non-essential in your life. Let me tell you, let me just give you some baggage. You know, uh, how about insufficiency in our life? Lack of. We need to throw overboard the insufficiency of our lives. The lack of, of, of things like we, we, we carry things that, that we keep in our boat that allows us to be insufficient for, for Christ. Maybe we need to throw overboard some things and, 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 and we think this, we say, 
well, I'm not educated enough, or I'm not talented enough, or I'm not good enough, or I don't have enough money. Let me tell you what you got. If you got God, you got enough. You hear why? If you got God, you got enough. You got enough to do what God wants you to do. And insufficiency in our lives sometimes, we fall into insufficiency because we feel like we don't deserve God's best. So we don't, we, we don't have the ability to get God's best. I'm here to tell you, God, I love what Bubba said at Heritage on Friday when I watched it. He said, God plus nothing equals everything. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory to God. God is good. Some of us need to throw over the baggage of insecurity. Throw that baggage of insecurity over. You say, I can't do this. You listen to the voices and the lies that say you're going to lose. You can't make it. You listen to the voice that says you don't have a right to go there. You don't have a right to have a good husband. You don't have a right to have a good wife. You don't have a right to be financially independent. You don't have a right for your business to do to be. And we become insecure and, and we, we fall short we, because we, have, we carry insecurity on our boat and we keep sailing with it and sailing with it and we never get past the fact that you are good enough. God has given you and equipped you everything you need to sail. You just got to put the sail up and throw everything out of your life that's, in, that's insufficient and insecure in your life. Whoo! Let holy boldness come on you. Let the holy boldness of God come upon you and get on you. And then there's, there's the insignificance. We all carry the, the, the loads of insignificance. Well, what, you know, what can I do? I mean, what can a small church in Madison, Indiana do compared to the rest of America? And the rest of the world. So, so we, we carry a load and we become less anchored. Because we feel we're insignificant. I'm telling you, God could raise someone out of this church that could change the world. There can be a Billy Graham that come out of here. You never know who gets saved on a Sunday morning or transformed. You never know what a prayer meeting will do. You feel insignificant. We can't put a dent in this city. We can't make a difference. Let's just have church. Let's just, let's just carry our load and toss from storm to storm. No, no, no. We got an anchor to throw that's going to anchor us. But in order to do it, we got to release some things that keep us from being overloaded and keep us from being anchored in God. How many are thankful that you're braced up? God is going to cheer you up and it's time to lighten up in our lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Pastor Adam, would you come this morning? Hallelujah. I had a couple other things, but I'll save it for a rainy day. Hallelujah. But I do want to take you to one passage of Scripture. I want everybody to turn to Hebrews chapter 6. I want to close with this this morning. I was going to give you what those four anchors mean. I'll just tell you what they are, and then you can guess on what they mean. First anchor is purpose. God gives us purpose. The second is fearless courage. The third anchor we're to throw out is the anchor of worship. All this stabilizes our lives in Christ. And the final anchor is to anchor ourselves into the body of Christ. When we throw those anchors out, those anchors are in Jesus. But I want to show you something here in closing in Hebrews chapter 6. Pastor Adam, I want you to sing that worship song we sang, The Waves. I'm telling you, that was, that was amazing this morning. Such a confirmation in my heart. Hebrews chapter 6. I want you to, Hebrews chapter 6, and I want to read. Let's start in verse, uh, let's start in verse 17. What I really want you to see is in verse 18 and 19, but verse 17 says, Thus God. Determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise. We are the heirs of promise. The immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. 
Verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God. Listen, here's two things that are impossible for God. Number one, it's impossible for God to lie. How many are thankful? It's impossible for God to lie this morning. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. The next verse. This is what I want you to see. Hallelujah. You get this. You get this. You'll live different. This hope we have. Now what is the hope? The hope is the anchor that we have or the hope that we have in Christ that he does not lie, that he is, he's unable to be overcome, that we can flee to him for refuge. He can be our refuge, our hope. He can be our anchor. His word is steadfast and true, never moving. And when you lock into it, your ship is secure. And it cannot be drifted off in a way. I'm assured of my salvation this morning. Because I'm not anchored in a book. I'm not anchored in a philosophy. I'm not anchored in a group. I'm not anchored behind a theory. I'm not anchored behind a demonstration of a false miracle. But I'm anchored into Christ Jesus. I'm anchored into an empty tomb. (laughs) I'm anchored into a cross that was sufficient for me. I may not have all the talent. I may not have all the money. I may not have everything I need. But if I got God, I got enough to be anchored in the storm. But this is what I want you to see. Look at verse 18. 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Woo! Of the soul. I said an anchor to the soul. (laughs) But sure and steadfast. And which enters the presence behind the veil. You know what that's saying? Let me tell you what it's saying. When you take the anchor of hope, you know what Jesus did for us by being anchored to him? When we take the anchor of hope and we cast that anchor out and our ship has been unloaded with all kinds of craziness, or can I say crap, that we've carried, we throw it overboard and we're anchored now. It says it's an anchor that pulls us. Listen to this. It pulls us. It pulls us. It pulls us. How many want to be pulled by God? How many don't want to drift away from God? How many know there are times we're all further away from God than what we should be? Sometimes we'll drift, but when we drift a little farther, we have the body of Christ. We feel the tug of the anchor. How many are thankful you feel the tug of the anchor? You can go out of here and not live for God for years, and all of a sudden the pull of the anchor of God can pull you back into the house of God. (laughs) Huh? You feel the tug? Sometimes we drift. We don't read the word like we should. We don't testify like we should. We don't live like we should. But as long as we got the anchor, as long as we got the anchor, it's steadfast and sure. It'll never come up. It won't be like those young men on that trip. They weren't anchored right. So the storm capsized their ship. I may be in the storm, but my ship's not capsizing. But look what it says. It pulls and keeps us where, where does it pull me? Look at the scripture says, where do I go? Where do I go? Behind the veil. <laughs> you know what that means? That means your anchor always pulls you to the presence of God. You're able to go where others in the Old Testament 
could not go. And the ripping of the veil, when Jesus died, the ripping of the veil became the access that you and I have. Let me tell you what happened. When that veil ripped in the temple and exposed the temple, it was an invitation to all came in. But let me tell you, you know what your anchor is, it looks like? It looks like the cross. Because the cross came down and anchored right in the middle behind that veil. And from that point on, the Holy Ghost began to draw men to him and begin to draw them behind the veil and behind the presence of God and do his perfect will. Hallelujah. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. How many are thankful for the anchor that holds? Glory to God. Glory. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now, if you want to bear up, if you want to cheer up, or if you just want to lighten up, I want you to run to this altar as a church. Just come down to this altar. Come on, let the anchor, come on, throw your anchor out. Let the anchor pull you. Let the anchor pull you closer to God this morning. Let it pull you closer to God this morning. Let it pull you closer to God this morning. Woo! Come on, you can worship in trial. You worship in the midst of a storm. You worship in the midst. That's your anchor this morning. That's your anchor is worship this morning. My life can be falling apart this morning, Ron. It can be falling apart this morning. But if I start worshiping, now I begin to anchor to something that is stronger than me. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm anchored to my purpose. I'm anchored to my fearless courage. Let me tell you, we need some courage. We need some Christians with some courage in this hour. Come on. Come on. Come on. I'm not the cowardly lion knocking at the wizard's door, hoping that he'll give me courage. Huh? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not somebody that's a beggar this morning. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to go behind and reveal the veil of the wizard working on machines and, and making it happen. I've got a real life anchor in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We need some courage. We're going to need some courage. There's going to be some people that need to stand up in this hour and stand for righteousness. I said stand for righteousness. I don't care. Y'all get mad at me. I'm not voting for people that kill children. I'm not voting for it. I'm not voting for people that's going to that's going to bring sanctimoniousness to immoral lives. I'm not going to do it. I'm not. I'm not. And I'm not voting for a preacher in the White House either, just so you don't know. I'm voting for somebody that says the church has a voice. It says the body of Christ matters. It says the body has a right to vote. We have a right to gather this morning. We have a right to be here this morning. We are anchored in the greatest lawgiver there is. I don't care if they throw everybody off the Supreme Court. There's already a court, and it sits in heaven. And the Bible says that he sits on his throne. Hey, I don't need a judge to tell me that. I don't need a judge to tell me that. Why? Because the Lord Jesus I'm talking about is anchored right here. He's anchored right here. He's anchored right here. <laughs> and when I get away from him, I feel the tug. <laughs> when I get away from him, I feel the tug. I, I'm, come on. I'm telling you, we need some courageous Christians. We need some unashamed, Holy Ghost filled. Listen. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost, y'all. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Ghost. I'm not ashamed of Him. I'm not ashamed of Him. I mean, I've had people say, hey, I'd go to your church if y'all wasn't so fanatical. Well, I, that's all right. Hey, it doesn't mean that anybody else is not irrelevant. I'm just, we can't hide the Holy Ghost. 
There's, this country's going through too much. People are going through too much. And we're not, I'm not perfect. And I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Holy Ghost. Listen, I need the Holy Ghost to go anywhere. I need the Holy Ghost to even, well, we need, we need, we need a move of God. We need a move of God. And I'm telling you, the waves of life are crashing, and they're crashing, and they're crashing, and your ship is overloaded. Your ship has got too much on it, but it's time to start throwing some things out. Throw some doubt out. Throw some doubt out. Throw some unbelief out. Throw some things out that have been hindering you, binding you, and keeping you. Now do that prophetic act this morning. Just do that prophetic act. Just hold that there so the Lord can see it this morning. And I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to release a prayer over you. But I'm going to Paul Harvey you in a minute here. How many know what Paul Harvey is? It's the rest of the story. How many is ready to hear the rest of the story? You know, German Merovins came to this country. I got a book in my office. It's a yellow book. It's got my descendants in it. I'm a descendant of Merovins. Matter of fact, the first descendant of mine to come to this country was in 1730. A guy by the name of Jacob Bruner came over with a bunch of Merovins to minister to Indians and came into the port of South Carolina. They settled in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where they had a, a barley wheat farm for many years. And I thought to myself as I was studying that, I thought, Lord, as I read what John Wesley wrote in his autobiography about the Merovins, I don't know if my descendants were like that or not. His name was Jacob, and his sons were named Moses, and, and I don't remember all of them. But if they were, I say, God, I hope that I'm able to reach back and gather some of the faith that they had and pull it into this, this hour. God, if I could have just a tiny bit of the faith that took them to come from Germany and to come from Europe, to come here, to be sacrificed for God. If I could just reach back and grab that. Listen, if we could just reach back to the anchor that we're holding on to in Christ and pull forward the faith that we need in order to stay in the midst of the storm, there'll be a joy that comes on us. There'll be a bearing up that comes on us. And there will be a lightning that comes. Now put your hands where they should be. We're going to pray. I feel the Holy Ghost in this. I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel the Holy Ghost. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, I release. I release. We're anchoring our ship. We're preparing our ship. Those that are bracing up, God, I pray that they will brace their lives and they will hold on, that they will not quit. They will continue to go through and not give up. They will tie down and hold together what you've given them. They will strengthen themselves in prayer and in the Word and in the Holy Ghost. They will bear themselves up with your word and with your song and with your worship and with their lives. That they will bear up. I pray for those that need joy this morning. Let the joy of the Lord be their strength. Rejoice again, I say. Rejoice always. Rejoice in the name of the Lord. Rejoice always in the Lord. Somebody's lost their joy, but it's coming back right now. It's coming back right now. It's coming back right now. <laughs> Let the joy of the Spirit of God come on them right now. Let them laugh. Let joy come. Let it overflow. Let it overcome them. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And then, Lord, there are those here this morning that need to lighten up. Their ship's way too heavy. It's put a strain put a strain on their anchor. I see insignificance being tossed overboard. Insecurity being tossed overboard. I see pain being tossed overboard. Dead weight. I see some of y'all throwing some friends overboard. Come on. Throw, throw Aunt Lucy overboard. Throw her over. Your ship is sinking because of the critical spirit that some people you've allowed to attach to your life. Throw it over. Throw it over. Let it fall over. Distraction, discouragement, fear. Let it go. Let it go in the name of Jesus. Let it go in the name of Jesus. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Father, we thank you this morning. 
You know how I know John Wesley and where was a man, John and Charles Wesley's were men of God? Because even today in the Methodist Church, they have a convention every year. It's called Aldersgate. You know what Aldersgate is? Aldersgate is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the Methodist Church. You guys have been there, ain't you? Am I telling the truth? Is it powerful? Is it a bunch of Holy Ghost Methodists that will not let revival die? You know what it is? It's a bunch of people that have attached to the anchor that was thrown up by John Wesley and Charles Wesley that said, we're believing in a move of God. Hang on. Hang on to the anchor that holds. Father, we love you this morning. I know lives are being touched this morning. People are leaving here with joy. People are leaving here laying aside their ships. Paul got the Rome. He got the Rome. The Bible says that he, he, he was a witness in his own house for two years. Matter of fact, Philippians 4 tells us that many of Caesar's household got saved. Many of Nero's own family got saved because Paul came through the storm in a right way. And God, there are people that are waiting on this congregation, waiting on the people of this church because they need, they're in a storm and they need an anchor. They need help. And I pray, God, your presence on each one in this room in this day. We thank you, God, for all that you've done. We thank you for your presence and your goodness. We release the spirit of power in this church. And we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, come on, give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.